On this podcast, we like to discuss the most recent installments of a different series every show. Today, we're looking at the full first season of History of the World Part 2, the sequel of Mel Brooks' cult classic 1981 comedy, History of the World Part 1. The eight-episode Hulu series premiered March 6th and collectively features over 100 comedians, most of which have turned up in other shows that we've reviewed. But the wildest thing about this project is that it's narrated by 96-year-old Brooks himself. It's March 15th. Welcome to today's episode. Is there any Hitler on ice? Yes, there's a Hitler on ice. They bring that back from the first movie. A sketch about Jews in space, possibly? That's at the very, very end. Oh, that's at the end? Yes. Okay, and then Viking funerals? Um, I don't remember Viking funerals. Okay. Damn, but I'm sure there were. So that seems like they actually kept their words 42 years ago. Well, the, the Jews in end. space thing came along at the end when they were doing the trailer for the next season. Yeah, so did Viking funerals and Hitler on ice. No, Hitler on ice came earlier in the season. No, 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 I'm saying in oh. History of the World Part 1, that's when Hitler on ice showed up but hitler on ice appeared earlier on in history of the world part two well just talking about mel brooks i have a lot of games about him because he's obviously a very interesting figure a lot of games about him yeah i have i have two games in particular okay. how well do you think you know mel brooks i mean i guess i could know him better okay well i have a list of things that he was in either he was the creator of or the actor like did voices for sure and they're going to be two i know blazing things. saddles i know like his most famous works young frankenstein all that stuff but do you know the dates for them because i have a game here so which came first and i'm going to mention two uh like either films that he was in there i think they're all films and you have to guess which one actually came out before the other one okay go ahead okay so the first one is robin hood men in tights or space balls Oh, Spaceballs. That's the one that came out first. Yes, yeah. that came out first. Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein? Uh, this was the one I was afraid of. Um, I believe Young Frankenstein came out after Blazing Saddles. The remake of The Producers or Robots? Um, so I got that wrong? I'm, I'm not saying anything okay. until the end. The remake of The Producers or what? Robots? Or Robots. The two, yeah. The, uh, yeah anime did film. he have anything to do with Robots? Yeah, he voiced in it. Oh, okay. Um, 2005. I'd like, it feels like that would have been the same year, So, but I'll say Producers was after. Okay, and then Hotel Trans- Transylvania 3 or Toy Story 4? Toy Story was after. Yeah, you actually got a clean sweep. <laughs> four out of four. Spaceballs, they come out before Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein both came out in 1974, but Young Frankenstein came out after Blazing Saddles. Uh, the Producers, The Remake, and Robots both came out in 2005. We got that right. Robots, March 2005, while The Producers, December 2005. And then, uh, yeah, Toy Story 4 came out after. Those were pretty tough. I think the one that I struggled with the most, though, was the Blazing Saddles one. But I knew that Young Frankenstein was shot in black and white to kind of play parody or Mm -hmm. to like go back and and so i knew it was shot later on and so that's why i hoped that it was after blazing saddles this is the first show though that i think that you've watched like the whole season for and then i watched the first episode too but not like the whole season so you watched the first episode i do recommend that anybody going into uh history of the world part two watch the first couple episodes just before they even listen to this okay yeah i mean but then they can stop so like the they, comparisons, they can well, the comparisons that I give it are like any sketch comedy like Portlandia. You even have people like Kumail Nanjiani, Fred Armisen show up. You have Documentary Now. It's a lot like that. 
um, another period. Uh, drunk history, obviously, yeah. they're even more fast and loose than they are on drunk history. Some people the, even said SNL skits, possibly. I'll get to that. Okay. Death to 2020, because, again, an approach to looking at history through a comic lens. Lowbrow humor. It also surprisingly reminded me of Whitest Kids You Know Season 5. I happen to remember that in the fifth season, they had a Civil War plotline that they kept on sticking into throughout the entire the season. Throughout right? the season. Yeah. And that is just like with this, because they also have a Civil War plotline where it's following Ulysses Grant as he tries to find alcohol because he's such an addict. Yes, yeah, so what happened was Nick Kroll, Wanda Sykes, and Ike Barinholtz, they really were the creators for this thing, even though I think Mel Brooks was the one that kind of wanted to bring it back, and they all decided to take their own sketch that lasted throughout the season that was Ike Barinholtz he's such a big history nerd he decided to go with the Civil War and they even said during the writer's room he would bore a lot of the writers with like just Civil War facts mm -hmm. so it kind of like really fit in so Nick Kroll's would have been the Russian Revolution and yeah. then uh, Shirley Chisholm would have been uh, Wanda Sykes Congresswoman right? yeah, Shirley Chisholm yeah yeah so I just want to jump into my pros and then my cons and that'll take up the majority of my like information that I have over this Great. okay First of all, for the pros, you can't not credit the ginormous cast that they brought in because every single skit, it felt like you had a new person show up from Drew Tarver, Sam Richardson, Eugene Cordero, Arturo Castro, Scott MacArthur, Jason Alexander, uh, Emily Rajatowski, um, Lauren Lapkiss, Adam Pally, uh, Seth Rogen. Like it, it just went on and on and on. Over a hundred comedians, like I said in the intro, and that was that was a joy to watch. Even like Taika Waititi showed up for like a second to be Freud. Yes. So what happened was obviously Mel Brooks' name was such a big presence. So many comedians decided to sign on to this thing. But but Nick Kroll was like, we cannot bring Mel Brooks on the set. Not only because he's ninety six years old, but because too many people would want to meet him. So they shot his scenes separately. Oh, yeah. interesting. Interesting. Well, I also thought that they wouldn't have paid the guest stars as much as they're normally used to because of the amount that they got. As well, yeah. Um, so yeah, you have more comedians. There's more time periods than the original history of the world part one. There are more jokes. Um, and the recent history, the stuff that took place in the 60s, the Shirley Chisholm stuff felt a lot more accurate than it was used to being. Like most of the show is just like making fun of everything. That one, that storyline felt like it was trying to teach you things, oh, which was interesting. Yeah. The Russian Revolution, for instance, they kept Anastasia alive, which historically is inaccurate but um and they also aged her up the, so that she could be like a tiktok celebrity tiktok celebrity mm -hmm. um but you did get appearances from rasputin and they did make the brother sick and uh danny devito was very strange to see as the russian czar um buff mel brooks that's another one of my pros he shows up at the very beginning um i assume they shot that with cgi that yeah, that's not obviously. his body yeah okay <laughs> yeah, um it was unsettling I'll, I'll say that, but it was also pretty funny. Well, I was surprised to see it because, I mean, like, in the trailer, you actually do see Mel Brooks just himself. Yeah, so and in the man. show you do, too, but just oh, not good. at that point. Or I think you do. Maybe I just saw the trailer too many times. The references and the puns, those were... those. Uh, so, in the first episode, right, that's when Ruxin does his thing from The League. <laughs> yeah. Where he says, forever unclean. Yeah. Yeah, and Paul Shear was in that skit. Did you even catch him? No, I didn't. He's, Who like, in he? the background. I think it was Paul Shears, but the, so you had, um, what's his name in the league? What was Paul Shears' name in the league? Andre. So you have Andre in the league, and then you have Ruxin in the league, and Ruxin saying his titular <laughs> line, so it was, if, that felt nice. Rock Ridge is the Blazing Saddles reference that they made several times. Okay, the so series. you did catch that. They that say was... it. 
They okay. even at one point one of the side characters was like, "Isn't that the from Blazing Saddles or something like that?" They really wanted to make that joke happen. Uh, they also do a lot of um, references to other television shows, Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Kardashians, uh, Punked, which is now conned uh, because of the Mongolian <laughs> Empire. You have them making fun of TikTok, Twitch, all the streaming networks. Hulu's throwing a little bit of shade at HBO and also calling Net. Netflix net fish, as in like get filter fish because Jewish jokes. And Fiddler on the Roof was also there. Uh, and then one of my favorites, though, was just like in Portlandia, Kumail Nanjiani would come in for like this one-off skit about the Kama Sutra. He's pitching it mm-hmm. to try to get it made. But instead of just the normal like sex book, it's about soups and sex. Yeah. So right. like it's called Kama Sutra, like soups to nuts, <laughs> which was hilarious. And then he would like go through all the, the different versions that he had, the, the picture portfolio of people eating soup while doing different sex <laughs> positions. And then telling you what type of soup it was. It was great. Um, and then the, the last part I got here is even when the show stopped being as good, because it does, and I'll get to that, uh, the music numbers were, were still all right. Yes. Okay. So I wanted to see if they were going like to have mu- any musical numbers because my favorite sketch from the original film, and I even re it uh, before we... You rewatched the entire original no, film? No, no, no. I watched this part of it, the Spanish like Inquisition. Like yeah. the, the like eight minute sketch I thought was like the funniest thing out of the whole thing. Do you remember the film? Like what your favorite part was? Uh, I liked how they brought it all back together. Like they connected all the timelines <laughs> at the end of the film. So I was waiting for that with this. But okay. yeah, the music numbers in this reminded me a lot of big mouth where they were catchy um and uh and they were like there are some skits or sorry some tv shows where they really struggle with making funny comedy numbers yeah and this was all right i mean jack black he did oh, yeah jack yeah, black great yeah okay yeah so he's it's stalin like, okay so it's throughout the episode yeah because they mentioned stalin at the end of the he's third. part of yeah, the okay. russian revolution plot line so nick kroll's main one right okay. all right so you've got the cons in this show that start off with it being a very one two three those episodes were good they were new it felt Felt like they were all headed somewhere. You got the Civil War plotline, the Russian Revolution, Shirley Chisholm, and Jesus of Nazareth. Those are the four main plots. Yes. And in the original, you had the Stone Age, the Old Testament, the Roman Empire, the Spanish Inquisition, and the French Revolution. But they didn't have like those in-between one-off skits. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's where the, where the differences came. Right. In episode four through six, that's when the sh- jokes just stopped being funny. And it felt like they were hastily ditching a lot of the they were like finishing up a lot of the plots and the main stories that they were presenting in episode seven and eight it got a little better a tad better but not nearly as good as the first three the only story to last all the episodes it felt like to me was the shirley chisholm one and besides it having a great theme song and being shot four by three aspect ratio which uh that was pretty cool yeah the novelty of the laugh track and the one joke of everybody being racist in the 1970s wore off after like the fifth time. Mm. They kept going back to the same joke. And it felt like by the end of the series, it was just trying to do too much because they were keeping that format like you were talking about, where you had uh, a few actual main stars. Ike Barinholtz, sorry, Ike what? Ike Barinholtz. Yes, uh, Nick Kroll and Wanda Sykes. And by doing that, you're, it's jarring to see so much of them 
um, when you've got like a huge cast that you could pull from and who are barely given like a minute to speak. I think Arturo got like one line. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's just odd that like people who you would, I know that they are, their schedules played a factor into it. Oh yeah, huge factor. But it felt like you could have used them instead of just all Nick Kroll, all Wanda Sykes, all Ike Barinholtz. Um, and then it wasn't just the cast. I don't want to spill too much on them. The stories they were telling, the setup, like I said, was good. But then it had like no payoff. So they kept going back to these stories over and over throughout this eight episodes. And they are too long to be considered shorts at that point. Right, obviously. But they're too short to be and short and goofy to be fleshed out into anything other than like this tiny humor that like original that just dies off. Mm -hmm. Um, And unlike the original, there's no connecting factor that that pissed me off the most. There was no string that you could connect between all the skits. And so the only one that has the exception is the Jesus of Nazareth, which connected with itself. Um, they connected with yeah, itself? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. I feel like time travel or something, but... But there's too many previouslys, too. In each episode, which lasts around 20 minutes long, and I'm binging it, right? Yeah. I'm getting one or two previouslys to those tiny skits that I've already seen. And they're not really changing them up at all and not adding too much humor. It's not like an Arrested Development previously where right. you're actually getting anything new with it. Uh, and with with all the writers, because I went to the Wikipedia page just to get the names of some of these people, and <laughs> the amount of writers they had per episode does not explain why they added so much improv or allowed so much improv. Well, I mean, like, these are people from, like, UCB Theater. Like, I know, but, right. like, this is... It felt like it was just too long. Like the quality of the jokes, it was more quantity than quality. And like an SNL skit, but like the SNL skits from the last 10 minutes of the show that normally get cut and that are always really, really bad. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of the skits ended up feeling by the end. When I was comparing it to SNL, I did take out the part where it said rejected Mm -hmm. SNL skits because that's how some people felt. By the end, that's how it it did feel. And you could tell that Mel Brooks wasn't like the main writer in it, which I don't expect him to be at this time. Yeah, well, what happened with that was, was, so again, Mel Brooks, like 2020, um, he tacked on part one when it was coming out just as a joke. He was like, "I, I have no plans at all to have him really make a part two mm-hmm. then he calls up nick kroll wanda sykes and ike baron holtz and he's like look guys i think that we can really make something here and then i think they decided all to go into a writer's room but mel brooks wasn't going to be there and then they were like we have to have the creator of the actual series here so they decided to call him up and then yeah he ended up like through zoom uh being part of the writer's he's room part of the well. writer's room but again there's like a gazillion writers so yeah. it didn't actually like just show his heart behind it and his movies are classic but not all his jokes have aged well so i i get that but like there's still a few gut busters in like every single one of his movies Mm -hmm. um and then nothing wrong with sketch comedy i don't want to rag on that too much but this felt like they were biting off more than they could chew it felt like it got a little lazy after a while that they were just filling time to fill time some of the one-off skits also didn't work to me like the vomiting d-day skit was just a rip off of the family guy thing that everybody knows the meme where everybody's getting sick uh, there were a lot of commercial spoofs, which was strange that I wasn't a fan of, mostly because it took away from the format of this even being called the History of the World Part 2. Like, why are we doing commercial skits that take place in the current day for Ancestry.com or statues when when you're supposed to be talking about the all of time? Yeah. It's, so that was odd. And then that, that only happened in the last couple episodes, though. And then there was a Jack Rasp 
Rasputin joke where they kept on going back to Oh, um, that was a that was a multi-episode thing. Yeah, so the first one was all right, but like I feel like they always fail at Rasputin jokes. Not they as in all of comedy because the guy had such a crazy life and historically it's such it's a lot of fun to read about, mm-hmm. but like whenever they display it on television or do it visually, they always try to make the guy look like a vampire or something. They always go overboard with it when all they have to do is stick with the facts and that would be enough to be to be hilarious um they also did this thing that would have worked as the next season like um you know like hitler on ice Mm -hmm. they could have said like galileo tiktok or typhoid mary's twitch but no they actually pulled those and tried to flesh them out into full out storylines where they kept going back to them for the entire episode and seeing galileo on twitch five times in an episode it just makes it it gets old so besides the the, like kind of pet project that the three main creators had you're saying that they it was it was actually way more than that that they kept on bringing back in multi Uh, yeah but not to the same degree so like the galileo thing was a one episode off but it lasted the entire episode okay um, I will end it with a pro though. So one storyline that I thought got better as it went on was the Jesus one because you started off with it being a parody of Curb Your Enthusiasm, then it became a parody of The Notebook, then it became <laughs> a parody of the Beatles Get Back 2021 documentary by Peter Jackson, the okay. <laughs> the one about the uh, roof recording sessions, right? Yeah, and that's such an odd creative pick it reminded me a lot of documentary now when they would just randomly pull something off that had a connection that you wouldn't expect and then after all of those parodies they had the roman catholic church i think uh priests decide that they were going to whitewash jesus and make jews the villains and then they created this marvel type trailer where there's this new person playing jesus and emily rajatow Kowski um, replaced Zazie Beetz as Mary, um, his, <laughs> his love interest, as a prostitute. And uh, it, yeah, that was great. And going back to the uh, Get Back um, <laughs> uh, documentary thing, that they, they there was a joke in there where instead of Let It Be, it was Let It Ba because they're in the... <laughs> yeah, okay. So you, That was my favorite joke. You yeah. ended up like actually getting all of the references. It was like, I think Screen Rant came out with like eight Easter eggs. Um, I, the only thing that I don't think I heard you mention was that there was also some uh, references to the producers throughout the series as well. But huh. yeah, like the yeah, Let I'm, It Be. I'm, I'm not speaking about all the jokes yeah. they had because there were so many of them. But I'm just saying like the references, it seemed like you got a good majority of them. There's also a love interest storyline between Anastasia and Nicole's son. In that, um, he's he plays like schlub something or other, but uh, but his son I thought was in Outer Banks. I thought it was the main character from that. <laughs> Turns out it was one of the main characters in Riverdale. They just look a lot like each other. So I, I found that funny that they brought in someone like that because he's not a comedian normally. Uh, if you want to give this show a positive spin, it's just the sequel to the 1981 film that covers more time periods, starring more comedians and pumping in more jokes. That's the positive spin. I give the first few episodes a 7 out of 10, but then it stumbles. And ultimately, this show just can't pull off three hours worth of good quality content. That's why I have to give the rest of it a 5 um, so does that even out to six in the end or just... I, I would honestly just say watch the first three episodes enjoy them for what they're worth and then stop watching it because even by episode three you can kind of tell maybe they don't know where they're going with it i know that us uh, like you even says this on wikipedia some reviewers felt like the show was more an homage to the history of the world part one rather than actually being its own separate thing comedy has changed like there are more modern references and it's definitely like no one from the first movie is still alive 
I'm, yeah. I'm joking. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got like two or three people from that to pull from, but like uh, Mel Mel Brooks was really the only connecting piece of it that was there. Okay. Yeah. So uh, going into the reviews for it, it has a 70% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 5.9 on IMDb. Uh, the New York Times wrote of the show in an era of dutiful brand extensions and pointless revival. It turns out to be history of the history of the world. Obviously, that's surprisingly worth repeating. They compared the show to the Kroll show as well, and I think that Nick Kroll even when he learned that he was going to be part of the show reached out to uh to his, the showrunner of that uh david stassen and i think that they started to work together and then like you were saying documentary now drunk history sherman showcase that's also what they compared it to i'm surprised other people compared it to documentary now because one of my thoughts while i was watching this is where's bill Hader? like out of all <laughs> the guest stars i was waiting for him to show up i was also waiting for andy samberg to show up I was very happy, like when people like Seth Rogen popped up. Well, Fred Armisen also shows up, right? Yeah, I said uh, that. Fred Armisen yeah. and Kumail Nanjiani both from Portlandia. Yeah. However, so when you have seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes, you also have kind of the other side of that, the flip side. Five point nine on IMDb, and it seems like the audience score for it was a twenty nine percent. And this isn't a actually, lot of people enjoy the classic. I would assume. Yeah. Well, it, it, partly that, but this isn't really a surprise. Like even if you go on to the History of the World Part Two trailer, it has like a sixty two percent like bar, hmm. which means like. 38 percent people did not like it It, it's it's kind of noticeable it's an acquired taste yeah (laughs) because from the trailer it doesn't look like it's going to be that good but i think the first couple episodes are are like if you're okay with lowbrow humor then you're gonna like it okay so i have i have a game here i just realized that one of the truths that i had i kind of already spoiled so we'll make it uh two truths and a lie and this is again about mel brooks this should be how we close it out right unless you have a lot more to say yeah no i mean i basically covered everything all right okay close it out with the game so on afi's list of top 100 comedy films of the last 100 years three of brooks films blazing saddles the producers and history of the world part one were on it and took spots 6 11 and 13 that's the first one the second one is, Brooks fought in World War II. He was a corporal and combat engineer who defused landmines and cleared booby trap buildings in France and Germany. And then number three is, uh, Brooks has an EGOT and was awarded the National Medal of Arts in 2016 by Barack Obama. In 2016? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say the first one is false. The AFI thing is false. You you actually were right. He the AFI did actually put three of his films in those spots, six, eleven, and thirteen, but it wasn't History of the World Part One. It was Blazing Saddles, The Producers, and Young Frankenstein. Okay. And then uh, yeah, he has uh, Brooks has an EGOT as well, but he also became a Kennedy Center honoree and has received an AFI Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm-hmm. So I mean, like I remember, I think it was Variety when I was uh, looking up articles for this thing says that he really has nothing else to prove. This mm-hmm. was just kind of made for fun, and I think that that kind of really uh, shows that well but they anyways. did pitch a second season of it at the end so who knows I, I don't think there's been anything said though about it actually turning into part three if they're gonna <laughs> get returned or not but anyways all right um well thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode out of curiosity though what was the third fact that you had to ditch because you had already talked about uh the, that there weren't any plans for a sequel oh okay um thanks for listening we'll see you on the next episode hope you enjoyed this one bye bye